If you've got a Bible with you this morning, I want to encourage you and invite you to open it to Psalm 119. It is the fall and we are launching or beginning a brand new series today. The series is called Rhythms of Grace. Now, that title in and of itself doesn't actually tell you a whole lot, Rhythms of Grace. I mean, it could be a series about music or synchronized swimming or ribbon dancing or any number of things, but it is none of those things. We are embarking on a 10-week series on what has traditionally been referred to as the spiritual disciplines. Now, I didn't want to put disciplines in the title because I think a lot of people have the wrong idea in mind when they think about spiritual disciplines. It is common for people to think of spiritual disciplines as kind of a daunting task or a daunting checklist of things to do. And, and, you know, often the response is, look, I already feel guilty enough about all the things I know I ought to be doing, but I'm not doing. And now you're going to add fasting and solitude to that. And so it's easy to kind of feel defeated before you even begin. We chose the title Rhythms of Grace for a reason. The activities that are usually referred to as spiritual disciplines are actually gifts to us. They are means of grace. Bible intake and prayer and solitude are means by which we can experience greater intimacy with God. And rather than seeing these things as drudgery or duty or something to add to an already loaded to-do list, we ought to see them as the normal rhythms of the Christian life. So we're going to spend 10 weeks together exploring these rhythms. So let me just give you a sense of where we are headed over the course of the next 10 weeks. I've actually grouped these rhythms into sort of five pairs, and we are beginning today with listening, that is hearing from God, which is really about Bible intake. Next week is speaking or prayer or talking to God, and we are starting here because the idea of Bible intake and prayer are really like the breathing in and breathing out of the Christian life. This is the place for us to start in approaching these things. But we're also going to dive into fasting and feasting solitude and community, simplicity and generosity, and work and rest. These are rhythms of grace, regular activities that turn out to be formative and actually shape us. And so throughout this series, we're actually going to encourage you to engage with these rhythms. Sometimes that encouragement will be to do this on your own individually and sometimes that will be for us to engage corporately in some of these things like fasting and feasting. I will tell you that my original plan was to do a series on the spiritual disciplines this past spring and summer but then COVID hit. And at the start of that time, I was thinking, you know what? I mean, everyone is already experiencing a lot of solitude. Everyone is kind of forced into simplicity. I'm not sure that the series on the spiritual disciplines is what we need. But the more I thought about it over the summer, the more I realized that we don't actually know how to do those things well. I mean, solitude is not binge-watching Netflix shows, right? Right? Simplicity is not staying away from the stores and just ordering everything from Amazon. We need to know not just how to be alone, but how to be alone with God and to delight in that. So we're beginning this morning with 
listening, hearing from God? How do we, as God's people, hear from Him? Now, we know that God does speak through His creation, right? The heavens declare the glory of God. We refer to that as natural revelation. We know that God does speak through circumstances and what is happening in the world. And lots of people have wondered what it is that God might be saying in the midst of this particular season, in the midst of the pandemic, in the midst of what's happening south of the border, in the midst of wildfires, all that. What could God be saying to us? Now, the thing about trying to discern what God might be saying through circumstances is that often it's just pure conjecture. I mean, we don't know for sure. The only place we can have full confidence that we are actually hearing the voice of God and not just someone's rantings on Twitter is in God's Word. God is a speaking God and He has revealed Himself through His Word. So this is part of the reason that we need to have a regular diet of reading the Bible and feeding ourselves on the truth of God's Word. Now I know coming into a message like this, I know that You have all heard a message about hearing the voice of God in Scripture, about the the importance of reading your Bibles and spending time on a regular basis in God's Word. We all know that we don't read our Bibles enough. So, I mean, I could give you the statistics and tell you how little time Christians actually spend reading their Bibles. I could tell you how much more time we spend watching TV or scrolling through social media. I could do all of that and you might feel a sense of guilt or compulsion to sort of try harder, but that's not what I want to do this morning. What I want to do instead is to remind you of the incredible treasure that we have in God's Word. And the way I want to do that is to draw your attention to Psalm 119. So if you've got a Bible, hopefully you've got it opened there. I will tell you that my message today is a little bit different than normal. I would love to walk through this psalm in its entirety, verse by verse, but it is 176 verses long, so obviously we cannot do that. In his commentary on the Psalms, Charles Spurgeon devoted 349 pages to this psalm alone. So we will just be scratching the surface of it. So I'm not going to read it in its entirety, but I do want to read for you the first two stanzas, the first 16 verses. This is God's word, and this is what it says. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways might be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. 
seriously considered just reading the psalm in its entirety, the 176 verses, and then walking out the back door. Uh, What I want to do instead is really to, from this psalm, highlight for you five things that will help us hear from God as we open his words. This is a very simple message about this act of listening to God by reading and meditating on his words. So the first thing I want to encourage you to do is to read your Bible with a sense of delight, not duty. Now, I don't mean that reading the Bible is not a discipline. I don't mean that you should only read it when you feel like it. What I mean is that the way we approach something makes a significant difference in how we experience that thing. So we're looking at Psalm 119 today. And before we get into exactly it is that what Psalm 119 says... I want to draw your attention to the way Psalm 119 says it. Psalm 119 is a 176-verse poem extolling the wonders of Scripture. As you read through it, you will find that 171 of the 176 verses in this psalm make reference to God's Word in some way to his statutes, to his commandments, to his precepts, to his rules, to his laws, to his promises, to his ways, and to his words. Now, there's a lot of poetry in the Bible. I mean, the entire book of Psalms is poetry. But Psalm 119 is the most elaborate poem in all of Scripture. Psalm 119 is not just a poem, doesn't just use poetic language. It's an acrostic poem. If you take a look at your Bible, you will see that there are 22 stanzas to this poem. Each of them is eight verses long. Now, there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, and each verse of the first stanza begins with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Aleph. Each verse of the second stanza begins with the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Bet, and each Stanza, or each verse of the third stanza, begins with the third letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Gimel, and on it goes through all 22 stanzas. This is a carefully structured poem about the beauty and the wonder of Scripture. And the reason I point all of that out is because even if poetry is not your thing, I mean, even if you haven't studied poetry since your high school English class, you know that poetry is the language of love, right? I mean, people write poems about things and people they love and care about deeply. And so it's significant that this poem is about the psalmist's love for God's word. I like the way Kevin DeYoung said it. He said, surely it is significant that this intricate, finely crafted, single-minded love poem, the longest in the Bible, is not about marriage or children or food or drink or mountains or rivers or oceans, but about the Bible itself. This is what I mean by saying that we ought to approach the Bible with delight rather than duty. Listen to just a small sampling of the way that delight is expressed in this psalm. Verse 14, he says, In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. Or verse 16, I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your words. 
Verses 47 and 48. For I find delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hands towards your commandments, which I love. I will meditate on your statutes. In verse 103, the psalmist talks about the sweetness of God's word. He says, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Or listen to the way the psalmist describes his experience with God's word in the midst of difficult circumstances. Trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commandments are my delight. And elsewhere, the psalmist will talk about his longing for God's word. He says, I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. See, this psalm is loaded with references like that. And I would encourage you just to read it through for yourself. And note how often the psalmist speaks about his delight and love and longing for the word of God. You'll find repeated references to God's word being sweeter than honey, better than riches. This psalm was written by someone who approached God's word with a sense of delight, not duty. I mean, I read through this psalm several times this week, and I didn't find a single verse that said something along the lines of, I I read your word because I had to or because it was on my to-do list. But over and over again, I read this, as I read this psalm, just this incredible delight basking in the word of God. The entire 176 verses of the psalm delight, relish, and rejoice in God's word. Now, maybe you don't feel that way. Maybe the Bible seems boring to you or you find much of it hard to understand. And I wonder if part of that is related to your approach. You see it as duty and not delight. So I don't really like email. If you've emailed me, you probably know that. I mean, I know I need to read them and answer them. It's my duty. But I prefer not to have a lot of email. I prefer to have as few emails as possible. And I remember back to like the first year, I think it was the first year of our church's existence that Andy had taken a week off. And so he forwarded me all of the info at crossridgechurch.ca emails. So, you know, I started getting all these emails from like, you know, Worship Central and Worship Media and Church This and Church That. And I was like, delete, delete, delete. Next day, same thing is happening. I'm like, why am I getting all these emails? Unsubscribe, unsubscribe, unsubscribe. I just don't, it's, I know it's my duty to read it, but I, I don't want all this unnecessary stuff. It turns out Andy actually needed all those subscriptions, but that's a, a different story. But I think a lot of us approach the Bible the way we approach email. It's just kind of like, yeah, I know I should do it. I know I've got to kind of slog through it. The way we approach something makes a huge difference in how we experience it. And we ought to approach the, the Bible not with a sense of duty, I have to do this, but with delight. Reading the Bible brings us face to face with our creator and redeemer. It's his word to us. So related to that first observation is a second one. And that is, I want to encourage you to read your Bible with anticipation, not assumptions. And I mean a couple of things by that. You know, sometimes the assumptions we have about the Bible prevent us from hearing what it actually says. Sometimes we're so familiar with the story from the Bible that we fail to understand what it's actually trying to communicate to us. I mean, take the story uh, uh, like David and Goliath. 
Even those who don't read the Bible regularly are familiar enough with the story to know what it's about, right? David and Goliath is the classic underdog story. It is the prototypical underdog story. A simple shepherd boy who defeats this giant with just a sling and a stone. The lesson is obvious, right? Be like David and you can defeat your greatest enemies and overcome your greatest obstacles if you're just willing to step out in faith and take a rest. But what if that's not the point of the story? I mean, what if the story is not about how we can be like David? What if the story is instead a paradigm for salvation? What if instead of seeing ourselves as David with giants to overcome, we see ourselves as the Israelites in need of being rescued by a very unlikely king? I mean, isn't that the pattern? Isn't that what Jesus has done for us? This unlikely king has fought and defeated the battles we could never defeat? So what if our assumptions are all wrong? Well, we won't really know unless we reflect sufficiently on what God is saying to us through his word. Let me give you another example. The Bible contains several genealogies. These are the sections we're tempted to just sort of skip over. That's a common assumption, right? There can't be much good in there. So I had the great benefit of serving in a secondary preaching role for a number of years, and I wouldn't say that there was any kind of conspiracy afoot, but my texts were all assigned to me, and it seemed to me at least like I got a disproportionate number of genealogical passages to preach on, right? I was kind of the long weekend guy and the genealogy guy. And I remember on a couple of occasions at least sort of getting a text and thinking, well, what on earth am I going to do with this? But you know, after spending time in prayer and study in those passages, I could very easily affirm the truth that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So we ought not to assume that we know what we need to hear. That's the assumption part of the equation. But what does it mean to approach the Bible with anticipation? Is that the way you approach it? Listen to the way that idea is expressed here in Psalm 119. In verse 18, it says, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. That's a a prayer I often pray when I open my Bible. Usually the first thing I will pray when I open it. God, open my eyes that I might behold wonderful truths from your word. And I I pray that way for a couple of reasons. The first is because I know I'm easily distracted. I mean, I know that I can have this book open before me and I can be reading the words on the page, but still be thinking about something else entirely. The second reason is because I know it's easy to miss what God might be saying. We need to approach the Bible with humility. We need to ask that God would open our eyes, that he would give us ears to hear. Listen to a couple of examples of how the psalmist did that very thing. He says, praise, to, praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. In verses 33 to 37, he says, Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. 
See, I appreciate the psalmist's humility here. And as I read through this psalm, I counted no less than 16 times where the psalmist prayed, teach me your decrees or give me understanding. And there's another handful of times where he says things like he says in verse 36 and 37, you know, incline my heart this way or turn my eyes from looking at that which is worthless, right? In other words, there's all these other things competing for my attention. Would you just help me focus, hear what it is you're saying, teach me, I don't understand. Bruce Waltke was one of my professors at Regent College. He's an outstanding biblical scholar. He's written several scholarly books and commentaries. He's written what I think is still the definitive book for biblical Hebrew grammar. And it, but as a bit of a departure, he wrote a practical book about the importance of prayer in getting to know God through studying the Bible. And in that book, he explains that early, early in his life, he used to read the Bible for its academic merit and that he got almost nothing out of it. And one day he heard a pastor say it's necessary to ask God for enlightenment. So he said he began praying, Lord, speak to me through your word. First, his reading seemed much the same. But soon he said it changed. And he he writes this, within three weeks of praying that prayer as I read my Bible, my heart began to burn within me. I started to see new things in Scripture. God began revealing to me how His Word should change my life. I developed a love for His teaching. God heard my prayer and began to speak to me through His Word. And I would encourage you to do that very thing, just to simply begin by asking God, God, I'm coming to Your Word. Would You teach me Your statutes? Would You teach me Your ways, Your truth? On a personal level, I've been a Christian for over 30 years now. And very early in my Christian life, I was encouraged to spend time in God's Word every day. That's a practice I haven't really departed from. I've reaped huge benefits from it. Now listen, I've spent a good deal of time in theological training. I've read through the Bible numerous times. I have a master's degree in biblical studies. And I don't say that to boast to you. I say that even with all of that, I still just need to approach Scripture with humility and say, God, would you teach me through your Word? So I often begin with the words of Samuel, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening, or with the, word, the verse I already read for you, verse 18, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things or wondrous things out of your law. Third thing I want to encourage you to do as you seek to listen to God's voice is to read your Bible deeply, not superficially. Now, we live in the information age. I mean, we're being conditioned to read everything superficially. I mean, we're accustomed to kind of clicking on a link to an article. We scroll through it to sort of get the gist of it, and then we just post it to social media. And whether we are aware of it or not, we are being conditioned to read our Bibles that way too. I mean, our attention spans are just getting shorter. We don't linger much over the Bible. We don't let it penetrate our hearts and our minds the way we should. In his book on the spiritual disciplines, Donald Whitney gives what I think is a great illustration of the problem with our superficial approach to reading the Bible. He says, imagine that you've been outside on an icy day and then you've come inside where there's a hot crackling fire in the fireplace. 
And as you walk towards it, you are very cold. You stretch out your hands to the fire. You rub them together briskly during the two seconds it takes you to walk past the fire. But by the time you reach the other side of the room, you realize, I'm still cold. Now, is there something wrong with you? Are you just sort of a second-class warmer-upper? Well, the problem isn't with you, it's with your method. You didn't stay by the fire. If you want to get warm, you have to linger by the fire until it warms your skin, then your muscles, then your bones, until you're fully warm. But isn't that an apt picture for many of us? I mean, we just kind of walk by this thing. We just sort of glance at it. And we wonder why we never get warm from a fire we barely get close to. So as we think about reading the Bible deeply, I think there's three disciplines related to that. And I would describe those three disciplines as study, memorization, and meditation. In the introduction to his book, Future Grace, John Piper celebrates the the place of unrushed reflection. And he asks the reader of his book to make room for it or make space for it. Here's what he says. Oh, the riches of understanding that come from lingering in thought over a new idea or a new expression of an old idea. I would like this book to be read in the same way that the Apostle Paul wanted his letters to be read by Timothy. Here's what Paul said to Timothy. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. And then he went on to say, every book worth reading beckons with the words, think over what I say. When my sons complain that a book is hard to read, I say, raking is easy, but all you get is leaves. Digging is hard, but you might find diamonds. See, I think that's what study is. It is thinking over what God has said so that he might give us understanding. Reading is like raking. Study is like digging. Now, many of you are already engaged with this in some way. I mean, maybe you have a, a, you know, a personal plan for how you study the Bible, or maybe you're part of one of our men's or women's uh, Bible studies, and, and you're doing some of that work. You're learning the structure. You're doing those things. That's great. I would just encourage all of you to make the study of God's Word a priority. Read for breadth. Study for depth. As I said, I think there's three disciplines. There's study. There's memorization, and there's meditation. Psalm 119 has something to say about all of this. Here's what verse 11 says. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. What does it mean to store up God's word in your heart? I mean, part of that is committing it to memory, right? Memorizing scripture is a great way to to grow. And I think it's unfortunate that we think of Scripture memorization as something that's only for kids, right? You memorize the Bible verse this week and come back and get a sticker. Now, I know some people object to memorizing Scripture on the grounds that they have a bad memory. And I want to say there's no such thing as a bad memory, only an untrained one. I mean, just think about how much stuff you have memorized. I remember I went to college with a guy who said he had trouble memorizing Scripture. It was a challenge for him to to do so. And yet this same guy, he knew the seating capacity of every NHL arena. The problem is not the memory. The problem is what you're choosing to memorize. 
I mean, just think about all the trivial stuff you have memorized right now. Song lyrics, movie lines, phone numbers, passwords. Lots of stuff you've committed to memory without even thinking about it. So I used to work for UPS. I spent a lot of time delivering packages downtown. Now, it's been more than 25 years, or at least 25 years since I did that job. But I could still tell you today that the address to St. Paul's Hospital is 1081 Burrard. If you were to say, you know, what are that, what's the address to the, the Bentall Towers downtown? I could tell you it's 505, 555, 595 Burrard, and 1055 Dunsmere. I could tell you that there was a Starbucks. Uh, there is still a Starbucks, 1099 Robson. There used to be one Kitty Corner, 1100 Robson. If you went two blocks further west, you'd find one at 1301 Robson. You can give me a building address, and many of those buildings I can still picture in my mind's eye. Why? Because as a courier, I had to know that that was life to me. The same way, we ought to commit God's word to our memory. We can call it to mind even years later. We ought to study, we ought to memorize, and we ought to meditate. Here's what the psalmist says. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. Or in verse 97, he says, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. So what exactly does it mean to meditate on the Bible or to meditate on God's word? You know, the Eastern idea of meditation is sort of emptying your mind. The Christian view of meditation or the biblical view of meditation is that you fill your mind with Scripture. You meditate it. You just kind of allow it to to bounce around in there for a while, to do its work. You think about it. My kids give me a hard time when I read a book at home because often I go, you know, I'll just make a grunt or something. I'll be like, hmm. And I didn't really notice I, I did that. But that's kind of what we're doing is we're meditating. You're actually thinking about those truths and just sort of letting them bake in there for a bit. You can think of meditation along the lines of a cup of tea. Your mind is the cup of hot water, and the tea bag represents your intake of Scripture. So hearing God's Word read is like sort of one dip of the tea bag into the cup. Some of the tea's flavor will get absorbed by the hot water, and then reading and studying or memorizing even are like additional dips of that tea bag into the cup. But meditation is immersing the tea bag entirely in the cup, letting it steep until all the flavor of the tea has transferred to that hot water. Donald Whitney says, meditation on scripture is letting the Bible brew in the brain. Right, so I want to encourage you, don't read your Bible superficially. Don't just kind of pass over it quickly. I got to read this much. Meditate on it. As Paul tells us, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let it take up residence and do its work in you. Fourth piece of encouragement I want to give you is don't just read your Bible. Allow it to read you. So the psalmist says this in verse 10, or 9 and 10. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. Right? He knows his proclivity to wander from what God says. And so he says, look, this is the standard. I know what the standard is. It's in your words. Or in verse 168, he says, I keep your precepts and testimonies for all my ways are before you. In other words, look, nothing is hidden from the sight of God. 
And as I read your word, it becomes clear to me those areas where I fall short. That's what I mean by saying, don't just read it, allow it to read you. Linger over it. Is it saying something to you? Is there something you need to repent of? There's some action you need to take. The Bible reads us. It's like a mirror. Writer of Hebrews compares it to a sword. He says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. See, what happens as we read Scripture, and as we really read Scripture, we see ourselves reflected in it, those areas that we need to change. Love that picture from Hebrews of this sword that divides. A few years back, I read a book entitled, When Breath Becomes Air. It's the autobiography of a neurosurgeon who was diagnosed with terminal cancer in his early 30s, since died. But in the early chapters, he just talks about his love of medicine. He talks about this experience, his first experience of dissecting a human cadaver. And he said part of what struck him was the sharpness of the scalpel and how in the right hands the body basically unzips with the scalpel's incision. All of the internal organs are exposed with just one cut is how he says it. That's the picture of this verse. God's word lays us bare. It opens us up. Everything is exposed to him. God's word is like a scalpel, sharper than any two-edged sword. The point of the verse is that God's word penetrates to the deepest parts of our being and lays everything bare. It exposes all of our sin, our idolatry. It does a work on us. And sometimes that work is painful. Prophet Jeremiah spoke about God's word like this. He said, my heart is broken within me. All my bones shake. I'm like a drunken man. Like a man overcome by wine. Because of the Lord and because of his holy words. He's saying, look, as I heard God speak, as I heard what God said to me, I was cut to the quick. God's word does that to us at times. It gets hold of us and it will not let us go until we either do what it says or we reject it outright. So don't just read it. Let it read you. Last thing I want to remind you of. Is don't just read your Bible. Respond to it. So our goal should not just be to know what the Bible says. Or familiarize ourselves with its teaching. Our goal is to know and do God's word. Sometimes what we need, actually, what we need most is not more knowledge of what the Bible says or insight into those passages that might be difficult to understand. Sometimes what we need most is just simple obedience to what it says so clearly. Mark Twain once said, it ain't those parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me. It's the parts that I do understand. You know what he's saying. And so often we hear it, we read it, and then we Don't do anything with it. And I just want to say, there's a tremendous blessing that comes from keeping God's word and doing what it says. Here's how the psalmist says it. In verses 44 and 45, he says, I will keep your law continually forever and ever, and I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts. I mean, he's not just talking about doing it. He's talking about the blessing that comes from doing it. I'll walk in a wide place. 
Or in verse 129, he says, your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul keeps them. In verse 167, he says, my soul keeps your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. So I want to encourage you that as you think about keeping God's word, doing God's word, that you understand that there is a great blessing in doing it. And sometimes we just need to obey, but we also need to understand that with obedience comes blessing. And I'll end with what James tells us in James chapter 1. He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. And then he says, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And so if you want to hear from God, and we're talking about listening, part of that listening is to do what he tells you to do. So my encouragement to you on the front end of this series is that each week that you would engage in these disciplines, you'd make this a regular part, a rhythm of your life. Let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you for your word. Your word is a light to our feet, a lamp to our path. Your word is our very bread. We shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Father. So God, we pray that we would nourish ourselves, feed ourselves on your word. And as we do it, we would experience great joy and delight. We would know you through that process. And that as we follow through on those things, you would show us and reveal to us the the joy and the blessing that comes from being obedient to it. God, we pray we would know you more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.